This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. Hey everybody, welcome to We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. Today I'm your host, Brian Travis. I've got a co-host with me, Derek Duke Jinkle, and we've got somebody that came all the way up from Gonzales, Louisiana, Gerald Spore. How you doing today, bud? I'm doing good. I just uh, made my way up here to pick up my new boat. Nice. How long is that drive? It's about seven and a half hours uh, from Gonzales, Louisiana, and uh, but on the way, I always like to make a stop in alabama and deer hunt with my buddy it, it, it seems like he's right there on that interstate 20 and i come through there every time i come to this part of the country and so we stop at his camp his deer camp and make a little hunt oh did you get a good one no we mm. uh we, we've already killed a couple bucks this year and i was basically they're, they're just now starting to rut over there and um it's around bellamy alabama i don't know if you know where that's at it's right on that uh, alabama mississippi line kind of mid, middle of the state Oh, and, that's that's west of Tuscaloosa. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, and so those those deer are just now starting to rut, and so we just went and sat there and waited on a big mucho grande to yeah. run out. <laughs> what about uh, you, duck hunt? Yeah, um, but I only duck hunt whenever it's all laid out perfectly for me, and I'm hunting <laughs> in some premium duck blind. Right, <laughs> I'm past all the hardcore. Uh, just do it just to look cool duck hunting now now when i go somewhere i want i expect to kill a bunch of them and i want to hunt somewhere in a nice blind and you so bring me out there and the you're Argo. not mad at it anymore i'm not mad at it all right all i'd right. say you're in a pretty good spot though to shoot a few yeah well no not really the ducks don't migrate in south louisiana like they used to really yeah they um you know they stop a lot uh in that middle of the state so but i got some friends that own a um a duck hunting place up in, in around Holly Grove, Arkansas, big slash ducks and bucks is probably one of the best places to duck hunt in Arkansas. And they, they invite us up there to go hunt a couple of times a year. And it's, it's easy. We roll up there, we get in the Argo, like I said, and they drive us right there and they drop us off and we go to <laughs> duck we, shooting. They call that duck right. shooting, yeah, not right. duck, duck hunting. Cause yeah. you've done found them. Now we, it's just, we select duck hunt. It's like, we're only shoot greenheads and, and they're just flying by and we'll get our limit <laughs> of those real quick. And, Get out of there. Around here, we shoot the four that we see. <laughs> That's all we do. That sounds terrible. I, I hate it for you that you got to put up with that. But Yeah, it's a rough life, right? <laughs> yeah. So, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's go all the way back, man. You grew up in Louisiana, born and raised. Yep, grew up in Louisiana. I got one brother, uh, my mom and dad, and uh, my brother, he's, he's in the Marine Corps. Uh, a little interesting fact for the last three years, my brother's been flying Donald Trump, the president. He's been flying Marine One, the helicopter. That is awesome. Uh, oh, sweet. Well, yeah. I'd like to take a second and just give him a shout out. We appreciate his service. We appreciate everything all our men and women do, the service for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was, I, I actually went to the Navy after high school. So I was in the Navy as well. Um, and then, you know, it's the, I grew up fishing in South Louisiana. I always wanted to be a professional bass fisherman when I grew up. But actually, no one else in my family did it. So it was one of those weird obsessions that I gained on my own. And it was, you know, I can attribute it to watching Bill Dance and Roland Martin and Hank Parker and all those guys on TV. And it just, I engaged in it as a little bitty kid. And I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And, interesting. Um, and so, you know, I, I had to go through life and save my money and all that. And then eventually was able to start my career. Yeah, because you had some other jobs too. I think I remember uh, somebody saying you worked for Shell. Um, and then you had an interesting sponsorship your first sponsor, I believe I remember hearing you talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I worked at Shell, the hardest part about trying to pursue a professional bass fishing career is I only had four weeks of vacation. Yeah. And uh, you, you take off vacation, and you, I'd get off of work, and then I would drive all night long, and I would get to the boat ramp that morning and would just go off of no sleep just so I can get an extra day of practice in or something. And uh, so it was really hard to work at a job like that with four weeks of vacation and try to fish as much stuff as I was doing. Uh, and then I, and then on the other hand, I was like, what if I do actually qualify? I might have to quit a $125,000 a year job with a pension and all this other stuff. It was a really good career. and It was very hard to get on with that plan I was at. I said, but someday if I make it, I'm going to have to make this decision. So I had to decide beforehand, was I prepared to do that? Um, and eventually, you know, uh, I working in that industry i ran into a company catalyst handling resources and they jokingly kept trying to get me to come work for them and i told them i said the only way i would come work for you is if 
you let me fish all I want, and I worked for you when I didn't fish. And they said, oh, that's cool. We can do that. Was, was you about like, fell out, didn't you? I say, you, wait, I wait said, a minute, I was teasing. I was just teasing. I was just joking. <laughs> they said, no, seriously, we'll, we'll do that. And so the, those guys put me on a plane. The next weekend flew me to Houston, the corporate, and we negotiated the whole thing. And I was sitting there, and I was so nervous. That was one of the hardest times of my life, making that decision. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go quit my job at Shell. And I had not qualified for a professional circuit yet. So that was the biggest thing. It's not like I made the elites and said, hey, I'm going fish the elites uh, right out, right out of my job. I, I quit my job and still had to qualify for something. And um, with a little bit of a security blanket with this company, but but not the shell paycheck. Well, I still didn't know if I was capable of competing. Right. I have not competed on that level yet. Right. And so I'm like, I'm gonna take on the sponsorship, but they're only gonna let you suck for so long before they're like, man, we're not sponsoring this dude. So he's, I really had to shine terrible. on the I had to shine he's on the terrible. work side. Luckily, so, so they did, <laughs> did mom and dad look at you and go, "Boy, you are crazy." Everybody <laughs> did. Yeah. Everybody. There was a few people that knew, I guess, had more confidence in it, had just as much confidence in my abilities as I did, and they were like, "Man, I know you're going to make it." But looking back on it, I think they were just real encouraging, and they really didn't understand. Like now, I understand how good these fishermen are. Right. And uh, and you know, I was naive to all that. The Tuesday night fruit jar champion, yeah, is not an is not a tour level angler. Not that they can't be, but that does not qualify you or or immediately put the stamp on you. Hey, you're you're highly capable at tour level, correct? Well, at first, you know, there's a lot of things you have to learn. Uh, all over the country, there's a lot of really good fishermen. There's no doubt about that. I fish against guys all the time that'll kick your teeth in in all levels of whatever, but. Doing it the way it has to be done on a professional level, uh, showing up to lakes with no information, short practices, and then going at it against the best of the world, putting cameras in your face and all that stuff, that changes everything. And so I had to, I had to get used to all that kind of stuff and wasn't sure if I was going to be successful. with the, Basically, once you put the real pressure on somebody, you put a lot of money on the line, $5,000 entry fee, put all that stuff together in one pot, you really don't know how you're going to act till it's time to do it. Well, and, and it's interesting too. you guys, uh, a lot of times people think, you know, everybody of water in the country cause you're a professional and, and that's not the case. We talk to guys all the time that are fishing pro and, and a new, new lake will be put up on a, on a, a schedule. And it's like, what do you think about this one? Never been, you know, and you guys mm-hmm. take it and go break it down and get prepped to, to fish at that level, you know, and it's something you guys can do. You can break down a body of water based on time of year and the the uh, topography of the lake and what it's made up of, and, and you guys tear into it and, and make it look easy some days. And you guys have grinding days too. Oh, you know? absolutely. <laughs> we never we never really know. Uh, uh, one of the biggest things for me when I started traveling, you have to realize there's certain types of lake. I don't necessarily have to know every lake. I just have to know the types of lake. You got a herring lake. You got a northern lake. You got a river. You got a uh, you know a big inland reservoir like Toledo Bend and all that kind of stuff. You got types of lakes, grass lakes, highland reservoirs. Yeah, once you learn how to break down that type of lake, you can go to another lake that's similar. Like if you know if you figure out how to catch them on Toledo Bend, you can go to Rayburn and tend to pick up in the same place. And so once I kind of had experience doing it, if if there was a part of the country I'd never been to, I think two years ago was the first time we went to. uh, Chateau, I think it was Chateau. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maggie's over there A-O- shaking her head. A-O-Y tournament. AOY tournament. That was first Chateau. time I fished a herring lake where the fish were that keyed in on herring. Had no experience, and so I was I was telling her I said I got to figure out how when these fish get locked in on herring, what to do. Throwing that big chrome top water over brush piles. That's all kind of stuff that you know I had to put on my resume as I was learning the fish all over the country, and now that I've done it. I, I'm confident I can go to another herring lake on that part of the country, and and if that if similar time frame, similar if, time frame, I got just enough experience to be able to go and have a practice and be able to catch them. So, what what style or type of lake did you grow up on, and then at what point in your experience fishing did you start branching out and really exploring the other styles or types of lakes? Well, you know that's the hardest part about coming from the part of the country that I live in is you be, you're you a really one-dimensional fisherman when you try to leave it, and you don't realize that. We can get up there and junk fish in the swamp with the best of them. When it comes to just throwing something up against a cypress tree, I got that. I, I was born and raised doing that. But um, 
Table rock, visibility 15 feet, bluff walls. That That's a whole new world for you, I isn't ne- it? I, I didn't know what to expect. I remember yeah. the first time I saw a smallmouth was actually after I had quit my job, and I hooked one in like 40 foot of water, and when it jumped, it came about six foot in the air in front of my face, and it was like a celebrity to me. I've only <laughs> seen them on TV. And, I'm like, <laughs> and it just paused right there in my face, and then it hit the water, and it went straight back down. And I yelled. I was by myself. I was like, got a smallmouth. I was so excited. And now that's my favorite fish to catch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's, um, that, that's interesting. Brian brought up a good point, and, and, and you've talked about decision-making that you've had and, and like – hey, I got to learn this stuff, and I don't even know if I can compete. So I get the overwhelming feeling that it's just not honeysuckle and roses. No. No, it's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, you know, I don't want to discourage anybody. It's right. hard work, and that's what makes it so gratifying whenever you do do well. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to learn. It's not just about being mechanically we go out there, we can all cast good, and I can skip docks with the best of them. That does not help you make decisions on the water uh, and, and learning you got to have some sort of experience before you can truly make right decisions in a lot of different scenarios. That's why guys like Kevin Van Dam and stuff are so hard to beat. Those guys have seen it all. They've experienced all the parts of the country at different times of the year, and they just know how to shift in those situations. I'm still learning all that stuff. I heard a comment a friend of mine made that, that a really good angler has two attributes that's hard to measure. He has great processor speed, you know, comparing it to the computer world, mm-hmm. and they have a great memory. Do you agree with that? Is that something you'd yeah. agree with? Yeah, um, exactly. It's, 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 to me, what makes these guys, what separates anglers on the water is their ability to analyze water how, processor, like you were saying. How fast can you look at the whole situation in front of you and decide, do I need to be here or not? Because guys can go through the motions and use all the tools that they have, but how? I mean, you got to make that decision during a competition. Do I need to pull my trolling motor up and run down the lake and do something different? And that's what starts. That's what really what separates guys on the, in the pros. Well, and you talk about those decisions going back to the the hardest decision. You talked about walking away from a nice payday with shell to go fishing because this has all happened fairly quickly for you. If my memory serves me, I think you started fishing opens in fourteen. Made the elites and was it 16, I believe? Was it 16, 17? I had two years on the elites and then you, now you're BPT? Uh, something like that. Uh, actually, my first year on the uh, opens was 13. Okay. I fished opens in 13, 14. Uh, 2015 is when I quit my job. Okay. And then I qual- had to qualify for the FLW tour because I wasn't running a, a ranger. And at the time, that was priority entry priority entry and it was getting filled up so much and um and so i went out and i qualified in the northern division the first time first year i caught a smallmouth i was duking it out one of them johnson brothers up there for aoi i never forget that and i was like i'm just a cajun from south louisiana i'm going against a canadian (laughs) on the border (laughs) and so i qualified for the flw tour and and then the same year i fished my rookie season on the flw tour is when i'm I won Angler of the Year in the Central Divisions on the Opens, and then I switched over to the Elites real quick, fished two years in the Elites, and then BPT. So in four seasons, I've been a rookie in three tours in th- out of four years. That's three. impressive, though. It's I don't know how it's happened. It's I mean, happened. That, that is <laughs> impressive. So it's not, it sounds like you made a pretty good decision that day with Shell. And, well, you uh, know, I think if I would have waited one more year, then I wouldn't have gotten invited to the BPT because I wouldn't have been able – I was able to get in there and do just enough, fast enough to be able to get an invite – over there and fish with those guys. Yeah, and you're enjoying that. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. What What do you think? Uh, what's your favorite part about that being on the BPT? Uh, well, you know, of course, to me, um, the biggest thing is fishing against those guys. Uh, I love fishing against those guys. They have so much. Um, they've They've broken all the records and set the standards. And so, to me, I, I gotta I gotta compete against them for my own personal satisfaction. And um, And then I guess when it comes to the tour itself. Um, you know, I, I really love the score tracker. Uh, I, I love the fact that the catch weigh and release and, and, the, and the hype around the score tracker. And then, uh, and then we're not racing in the morning to, to try to get to a spot. We get lines in, lines out. So you're not concerned about breakdowns and variables that you can't control. It's like go there, set up, lines in in the morning, you start fishing, and then, uh, and then at 3.30 you shut it down. And it doesn't matter where you're at on the lake, Maggie will get the – 
trailer and come pick me up, me and my boat official. We might be 40, 50 miles up the river somewhere, and she'll just pick us up. She'll have hamburgers waiting for us and everything and drive us back. So it's just pure straight-up fishing for eight hours, and that's what I like about it. So, so can you guys put in and take out anywhere? Pretty much. Uh, this year, the rule is clarified a little bit. Last year, we did. Uh, we didn't put in anywhere. We put in an official takeoff. Or no, actually, you could put in anywhere, but we have to meet in one area to okay. take off. But this year is going to be different uh, going into 2020. They're going to give us some design, designated boat ramps all over the lake to where you could put in at these areas. We have to clear, uh, pick those areas before takeoff that morning and tell them because they're going to uh, give us coverage at these takeoffs. So they want to know who's at what. That's right. the only reason. So they can send a guy over there to interview us and everything during that morning process. And then we can take out, it's probably going to be four or five different ramps at every event. That that's we'll be that's able to pretty use. cool. It is. It, I didn't know that. You know, you think about inclement weather. And and I believe, if I remember correctly, there were a couple situations in the t- 2019 uh, Bass Pro Tour where inclement weather at takeoff. Right. And you were uh, the anglers, including yourself, obviously. I believe they were allowed to put their boats in at different ramps. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. They, they called an audible that didn't delay the tournament. Yeah. The, the whole thing is strategized around giving us the full, as much of the competition as they possibly can. So, for instance, if there's a rain delay in the middle of the day, they'll, uh, they'll shut the competition down. Tell everyone to take cover, and if it eats up two hours of the day because we're having a bad storm and lightning, they're going to add that to the back end of the tournament. Oh, so cool. instead of the tournament cool. ending at three thirty, then it'll end at five thirty. So you get that it's just straight up bass fishing competition. I didn't win because the guy that was about to beat me broke down. You know, it's it's straight up. And if we do break down, you know what's really cool is uh, they they have. A, about 13 different boats on the water, and they will bring you a boat and swap out with you and take care of fixing your boat while you can continue to fish. Wow. I'm, lo- I'm loving learning all these new little facts. And, and yeah. I, you know, being able to put in at different places, like you said, being able to compete the whole time because there's a lot of other tournaments you may be running for an hour, you mm-hmm. know, trying to get to your spots. So and now you can do it before you have to worry about the lines in. Which was always really cool to me um, in the first place because I was always a guy I, I got excited about making a long run because where I grew up in South Louisiana we'd make those runs to Venice and everything and uh, that's kind of where it, that's it in my blood but um, you know if you choose to run 30 minutes there was a couple times this year where I was running 30 minutes longer than lines were in and I'm looking at the clock and like they're catching them right now I'm going they're backwards and every fish is being counted so no telling what the score is going to be when I stop and my boat official was just holding on because I'm running 74 miles an hour down the lake, so he can't look at the iPad. So as soon as we stop, I'm like, all right, give me the update. He goes, you're in 27th place, and uh, the leader has already caught 20 pounds. Golly, I ain't even made a cash yet. <laughs> and then the whole time you're trying to play catch up. You're in the hole. You're in the hole. You shut the motor off, and I'm in the hole. Yep, so that's all part of strategy and everything. It just depends on type of lake and uh like that that actually had happened at table rock no that was smith lake that had happened a place that's just full of fish and you're going to get a lot of bites but you can make a long run on you can run an hour on smith and that's where i did that i ran really far to get away from everybody and they caught them so good before (laughs) i would ever stop i just couldn't catch up so i'm gonna go backwards here just a minute did i hear you say that sometimes um maggie would pick y'all up up the river if that's where your day ended and have have cheeseburgers or hamburgers. Sounds like Maggie might be the real MVP of this whole deal. She, oh, she is. She uh, she knows. She she has a little uh, a app. It's called Life Three Hundred and Sixty, and she can see me anywhere on the lake. And so I don't even have to tell her what ramp I'm going to be at. It's not. I don't plan my day. She looks at that app and she says, "Okay, he's up this river," and she knows that she'll look at that app and then she'll zoom in on Google Earth and she'll find the closest ramp. And so she'll already be at that closest ramp by the time lines are out. She'll start heading that direction. She, we kind of got a little system in place. Oh, that's cool. Well, one yeah. piece of advice, don't let Duke get your location because he'll be following Maggie and you won't have any cheeseburgers when the day's over. Oh. Hey, I take that a little bit personally. <laughs> Regardless of the fact it may be highly accurate. That's, that's, that's kind of a shot across the bow. <laughs> and the whole reason I ask that question, I, and it's a behind-the-scenes deal. You know, mm-hmm. when, when, when a uh, fan, a fishing fan reads, uh, watches a YouTube video, checks your social media, reads an article in a magazine. They don't hear about what it really takes. They see a name, Gerald Sporer, 
but do they do they see that there's a there's a Maggie or there's a you know whomever a, a partner or a group of guys working or Duke. Yeah, you know, a guy turning wrenches, you know. <laughs> he thought he could catch one one time, but he figured out he was probably maybe just better turn wrenches. But, you, you, you know, I, I think that's a valid, a great point that you bring up about how important it is to have that, that support structure, whether it's a family member, whether it's a, a wife, fiancé, girlfriend, wh- whatever, that, whatever that support system looks like. The successful folks have that, don't they? Oh, yeah. I didn't really start catching them until I met her. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, hmm. you know, at first, when I was trying to juggle all these things, and I was worried about so much stuff, it, it was uh, it was inconsistent because I was on the water thinking about how to get in touch with a sponsor or something like that. Maggie's got all that under control, and seriously, the only thing I lodging, 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 sponsorship, social media. Well, let's talk about that. If you're out chasing fish all over the place and chasing sponsors, how did you meet her? <laughs> ran into her. Uh, he was getting gas at the stop and go. He was getting gas at the stop and go, and uh, and and uh, no, you may get mad at me, but this attractive young lady shows up, and he, you know he he puts his best. I'm gonna go back to my era. His best Joey Tribbiani on there and says, "How you doing?" Truth, truth be told, was we, I was at a club in Baton Rouge, yeah, and I was in the middle of the dance floor, and I was just bebopping and popping, blocking, you know. I was sitting there break dancing and doing all this stuff. I don't even know and what that just, means. She, I was, I, I was basically just you uh, were throwing it down. I was throwing it down. That, okay, I can and, talk that language. She saw me and couldn't resist, and she came out there and had that's a fib. It cannot be true. <laughs> we're gonna get Maggie on the next show, and we're that's gonna right. get down to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when I met her, uh, and I told her I was a professional bass fisherman. I met her the year I qualified for the elites, and when I met her, I told her I was a professional bass fisherman. She called one of my buddies that she was – we had a mutual friend. She goes, is this dude the real deal? And she, Did he make this up? So yeah. here's the deal. Did your buddy leave you hanging? Well, he's like, I, I think he's going to be. Because I just, I, I, just, I just qualified, you know. And well, he's on his way, but he ain't quite got there yet. Yeah, so she's been with me since the beginning. And, um, That's and cool. The first year, she kind of randomly showed up at some weigh-ins and stuff. And then the second year, she started going everywhere at every event. So oh, good. She has a job where she does teletherapy. And uh, so she can do work on the road where she does speech therapy to kids over Skype through the computer. And so she could schedule oh, this cool. stuff while 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 I'm out fishing. She could still work, so she has a lot of flexibility. That's really neat. That is that's cool, you yeah. know. And 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 I ask all that, and I know it, it was some personal information, but it. I think far too often, the world doesn't see, really the the layers of fabric under the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, they see the shiny gel coat, but they don't see the layers of glass and the. And the resin and and the composite boards that's holding this whole show together. I'm going to use some bass boat analogy there. Yeah. You know, they just they don't get to see that, and and it's cool because truly, hey, you go home at night, and I, I don't mm. want to use the word worry, but works on your mind. You know, where am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And catching fish is the fun part. Yeah, right. That's I mean, all I have to worry about now. She doesn't just take care of me, and we'll put this on the record. She also takes care of me. Josh Bertrand, James Elam, and Roy Hawk. That's we as four of us. We all room together. You got your hands full, Maggie. So she books us. She has to find a house. It's hard to find a house, period. But she has to find a house that can accommodate four trucks and boats, and has four bedrooms. Sometimes uh, Bertrand and Elam will end up in a bunk bed because well, they're both little guys. They're, they're not big fellas. Little guys and Roy snores, so we Roy has to be by himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a pretty good crew. You got one. You got another Phoenix guy in there, James yeah. Elam. He's mm-hmm. a little fella, you know, about my size. And then you got Bertrand. He's tall but skinny. You know, you can kind of <laughs> stuff him off to the side, can't you? Uh-huh. Now Hawks, he, he's a little more linebackerish. I, I'm gonna say maybe running backish. He's not real yeah. tall, but he's stocky built fella. Yeah, but well, so, Roy's necessary. He's in charge of the grill. So who's the messiest out of that group? Who you got to worry about cleaning up after? No, they're all they all take care of. That's why it works. not Elam. Not I promise yeah. you, James Elam's. No, yeah. they're all easy. That's um, you know that, that's what was surprising when we all got together. That last year was our first year room together. When the year was over with, when me and Maggie looked at each other and said that was easy. Yeah, nobody argued. Yeah. We couldn't. We can't talk about fishing. There, right. You know, once practice starts, we can't 
sitting there and share information and stuff. So that all that controversy, potential controversy, is out the window. Right. Like, oh, you didn't give me a spot and all this other stuff. I didn't tell you about this, or you lied to me and all that crap that goes on in the house. Perfect. We, we don't have to worry about that. It's all about what we're going to eat uh, when we go to Wisconsin, who's buying a spot of cow. Uh, things like that. Do you know what Spotted Cow is, Brian? I do not. That is a local uh, brewed beer. Okay. Bottled beer, Spotted Cow. I know for fact, having worked in the service yard at the Red Crest, that's the Bass Pro Tour Championship, I may or may not have seen several boxes of those in James Elam's truck. Yeah. I'm going to tell on him a little bit. Sorry, James. (laughs) No, it's just it's simple things to worry about. So we have a good time, and everyone takes care of themselves, and you know everyone pays the bills. So how does it work? <clears throat> you got four people rooming together on on the road as far as fishermen in the house. If you guys draw out different days, you know, does it change how your day progresses, or is somebody back at the house, like you said, getting dinner ready? Whoever's not fishing that day, and all that. How's that work? Yeah, we we'll uh, we'll, we'll take we'll take turns. You know, Maggie's always willing to to step up and make sure we got something to eat, but. Of course, if if I'm off the next day or whatever, I'm gonna do whatever. I'm gonna cook something special. I'm, I love to cook. A lot of times we'll boil crawfish. There we I go. bring crawfish on the road or royal barbecue. You still got uh, my number? <laughs> 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 well, you just have to know that it's probably going down. If it's crawfish season, it's like Jerry, y'all brought crawfish. Like at Lake Fork. Duly noted. <laughs> Duke, Duke's really excited. He's ready for the season to kick off right now. <laughs> So, boy, look at the time. We need to get this show going. Yeah, that's cool. That that's cool that y'all have that relationship, and and it brings up another point. Brian touched on it. Talked about who fishes what day. We'll, we'll get back to the fishing side of it a little bit. Bass Pro Tour format: fish a day, off a day, fish a day, off a day. What's your thoughts? I love it actually because you know. Before, whenever we would start practice and through a duration of a tournament, I literally felt like I was shaving years off my life. It was <laughs> so much jammed into one week. Right. It was strenuous, and especially if you go to a lake that uh, that was really, really rough. I remember like St. Lawrence River. St. Lawrence River gets rough. A lot of people don't realize that. If the wind blows down against the current, it'll get really choppy, and you can make a long run there. And I usually run all the way towards Lake Ontario when I go there. And you do four days of running uh, in some choppy conditions after practice and everything else. When it's over with, it's like you got in a car wreck. And I, it just was seemed like it was overwhelming. Um, and, and so the days off. Stressful. Now, stressful. You go out there and you fish 100% during this Bass Pro Tour event because you know the next day you're off. So you just... I mean, you fish so hard. I mean, I'm literally breathing hard sometimes. I'm, I'm moving so fast. I'm picking up rods. And uh, a lot of times you find yourself flipping, and you know you need to pick up that spinnerbait for that one lay down, but you're just tired of bending over because you're just so wore <laughs> out. I, that doesn't happen. You, know, you, you fish a, hundred, a true 100% throughout the day, and uh, then you know you got the day off the next day, and you can just kind of let it all loose, especially if you have a bad day. You know, and you got to reset your mind. Now it does get tricky when you got to go out there and try to figure out where your fish went or the conditions changed. Maybe a front came through, and it's been two days since I've been on the water. Uh, but you just got to find ways to make it work. And we're all fishing in the same situation. You know what's even more tricky that I don't know if uh, if y'all know about yet, but they just made an announcement that if you win the first round of competition, which is uh, the, the first two days of competition. Shot, shotgun round? Is that well, what they... they, they cha- they're changing the name. Okay. You got the shotgun and elimination round, but right. which is combined weight for those two days. I just call it round one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's probably a good idea. Round one is a two-day combination. I'm tearing stuff up over here. Sorry. We got a maintenance guy? So, <laughs> so now, the new rule for 2020, there's group A and group B. They both get a shotgun and elimination round or round one. Mm-hmm. It's a two-day competition. If you win one of those rounds, you go straight to the championship day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool, but you can also find yourself not fishing for three days yeah. before you got to go back on your fish. And a lot of right. things can change. So right, because they got fins. Long. They swim around, don't they? Yeah. I don't know. Someone <laughs> didn't tell this bass he was supposed to wait right here for me. He doesn't know that. <laughs> There's a log right here. Where'd he go? <laughs> yeah. I love when people say, I know they're here. I know they didn't go far. I was like, you know how fast a fish can swim a mile? Like 12 minutes. It yeah, could be a long way. That's exactly. He, he's around the corner and down the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny. 
But so, yeah, yeah, I, I can go a long time without having to know where his fish are. I wouldn't have thought about that. I'd have just been th- thinking about getting a few days to relax. What What do you do on your days off? What What is a typical day off on that? So that yeah, that's really cool. So now we get to enjoy these these great cities that we go to. Um, usually Maggie has all kind of adventures planned out for us. If I don't go with her, she'll go by herself. She went whitewater rafting one time without me while I was worried to death while I was fishing. All I had to worry about was the fish, right? Yeah. No, she's whitewater rafting by herself. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and throw out, Maggie seems pretty competent. I think you can go ahead and take still, that off your mind. I, I believe she's going to make it whether you do or not. I hate to say that. but That's an extreme sport, though. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we'll do stuff. We'll find fun things to do in the town. Uh, we usually try to find the best restaurants, something we're trying to decide if we want to start or not. Uh, if we want to start making a, um, we want to make an Instagram page where we can uh, take pictures and basically blog about the best restaurant in town and what we thought was good when we got there and what to order and things like that. The life and times of a on-the-road fisherman. On-the-road, on uh, like an on-the-road thing, basically. That's so people, cool. if they go to that town, they can say, oh, what did Gerald and Maggie do when they was over there? If they're looking for a good place to eat, we're going to find it. Yeah. We're going to find the best place to eat. Or the biggest thing we're starting to do now is uh, play golf. We're playing a lot of golf, so... Golf club, Fel- stay in the truck all season. Fellow anglers you're playing with, yep. I'm assuming? Yep, play a lot with Randall Tharp, Bobby Lane, Matt Lee, Brent Ayler. Um, me and Jonathan Van Dam was partners in one tournament, and we won that in a scramble. Uh, you, you've opened up a whole can of worms here, Brian. I don't know if um, – so you've got competitors, known competitors, right? They've got competitive juices flowing. Yeah. Playing another sport. We're not bass fishing. Uh, what's the wagers look like? Oh, so Bobby Lane makes them so complicated that no one <laughs> no one understands if they won or lost. So in the end, in the end, it's like Bobby, how how much do you owe me? I don't know how much you owe me or how much do I owe you. So we just trust him. I don't know if he's scamming us or not. I think it's coming out of Bobby Lane saying, "Heads I win, tails you lose." Is that possible? You know, because that means he wins them all, right? Yeah, he's got all these weird names for if something happens or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. He's like, oh, that, that, you just won 20 bucks. Oh, you owe me 40 now. I was like, golly, I don't even know what I just did. He just knows the house always wins, and he's the house. That's <laughs> I, smell it, I, yeah. I smell what he's cooking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a good video to show y'all of Bobby Lane in the bushes hacking it up. It looks like a lawnmower with, with his <laughs> golf club trying to get to his ball, but... Yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it. A lot of trash talking going on. Of course. I, I can only imagine. Like, <laughs> Tharp's a competitor, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's like, you you see it. We we had, Brian can probably share the the better story about our Christmas party. <laughs> we'll probably cut that part out. Top, <laughs> top golf? But, yeah. I it heard got a little top. bit competitive at top golf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was comical. Like, this is for fun. This is for fun. Yeah. 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 This is supposed to be bonding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Does man. Lucas play with y'all? Uh, he hasn't played with me yet, but I know he plays. You know, yeah. his brother's a professional uh, yeah. golfer. Pretty salty, I think. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you who the worst golfer on tour is. Let's hear it. Jacob Wheeler. Really? Really? And Jacob, I like Jacob. He's my boy, but I'm just glad he sucks at something. Because he's good at everything, so we're not cutting him no slack on the golf game. <laughs> Justin's not bad. I played with Justin one day it was several years ago. Uh, Tim and Teresa and Justin and I played this. It's called a Rudolph Revenge Tournament. So it was in December, and uh, he and I were teamed up against Tim and Teresa, and I thought I was going to get fired that day because Justin and I won. And I, I don't know what's better, though, the way you know his golf game, he came out dressed to the nines. I mean, he, he was pretty sharp. Oh, that boy there. looks like he fell out of the pages of yeah. Cosmo yeah. Magazine, you know, GQ. No, he came straight off the Under Armour catalog, you know. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing about these guys. There's, it's just in their nature that when they're not good at something like Jacob, he's probably getting lessons right now, and he's going to come out there and school us next year. It's exactly I mean, what's happening. These dudes <laughs> will literally train until they get good at something, and that's kind of why they are where they are in the fishing world, you know. So as this golf thing evolves with these days off and stuff, expect these dudes to be borderline PGA Tour. Right, I, right. That's just that's that's where I feel like I'm going to be. That's yeah, right. I'm playing all this golf now. Now, do you guys ever stop and hit the uh, golf course ponds while you're going through? No, but we talk about it every yeah. time. It's every pond we get to. Oh, you know, you catch one on a frog right there. You know. <laughs> we we used to have one uh, town I went to college in. 
we, you'd have to sneak in at night. You'd have to walk the cart path from the clubhouse, you know, and, and sneak around there, and, and they'd have a fountain going. As long as the fountain was going, you could stay on the backside and just smoke them on a weightless worm. I mean, so if the fountain was going, they couldn't see you. Is that why you can get I, no? I don't, they wouldn't bite when oh. the fountain was off. I don't, but yeah, we it did help the current you'd get run off. Yeah, they were you would get activated. run off every once in a while by some by some authorities. You know? Yeah, you know, every time we're crossing a bridge on a golf course or something, we're, you'll see one on the bed, and you're like, oh, man, we're all looking at it and stuff. And it's funny. <laughs> you, you know, you know, there's somebody from the actual club going. Well, the Clampets have come to town again. Well, I tell you one thing, Johnny Morris regrets letting us on that pretty part, uh, that top of the rock. Yeah, that uh, that nine hole par three course, that top of the rock. We <laughs> hacked that beautiful course up so bad. I thought they had to redo the whole thing, probably. <laughs> well, the sod trucks are pulling. Yeah. <laughs> that is too good. So, what's your favorite golf course? Uh, it was actually Johnny Morris's. Yeah, uh, it, you know they had that one in the 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 nine hole par three. And then was cool and all, but to me, what was the other one? Buffalo Ridge. Buffalo Ridge. Uh, at the first, at the first, at the first tee box, there's buffalo standing right there. Really, like live buffalo. They're not on chain or nothing. They're just standing there, free yeah. range buffaloes. I'm like, what makes them stay right here? But they're just standing just right there at the first hole. And then you, it's, that's his 18 hole course over there in Missouri, and um, it was, it was really, really nice. Every hole was something spectacular to see. We had to get pictures of just about every one of them. I'm, I am terrible at golf. I own a, a nice set of clubs. I spent a lot of money, and it didn't help. But uh, a lot of people forget, and those little par threes can be the toughest. I played a uh, Lee Trevino par three down at the beach one time, and I was ready to throw every club I had oh, in the yeah. lake. Oh, I was so mad. You hey, start brutal. out thinking this is going to be fun. This is a short little course. I'm going to hit it up there, chip it. It's like chip shots and all this other stuff, but no. No. Be- best work. I know about it, the ball's white, right? It's a little white ball. <laughs> yeah. And it's spelled G-O-L-F. Yeah. 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 Duke's used That's to the one. He goes to the putt-putt I, course. You get a blue, a red, a black, a yeah. yellow ball. <laughs> I don't know why they always make you play with white ones. Yeah. I've been on a – I mean, great subject. I actually watch a lot of golf. Oh, really? On television. Absolutely. Because those guys are amazing. Because after both times that I played golf, not for me. Well, you know the reason why we, we – we actually relate Major League Fishing to golf a lot, and we we uh, we use their business model a lot. For example, there's more people that fish than play golf, but they have those golfers make a lot more money than we do. So the, right. the whole concept is was to build like, like, hey, let's do what they're doing, and let's see if we can make a bunch of money as fishermen, yeah, doing what we love to do. So the ultimate goal of Major League Fishing, and the reason why every fish counts and the score tracker and everything is to is to <clears throat> be live on TV one day. Just like golf is, and every swing counts. And and you're sitting there, and for you to engage in it, to watch it live on eight hour TV, to have it in your Buffalo Wild Wings and everything, just on their TVs, just randomly on. That's where the whole every fish counts concept comes into play because it has to stay engaging mm-hmm. for a guy that doesn't normally tournament fish. For him to look up there and instantly get interested in it, in the in five fish before was just too slow. It's about reaching a demographic. Yep, that's it. And we're trying to make it to where it's like, how do we have more people that fish, but we make significantly less money than golfers, you know? And yeah. so we're just reinventing the concept and seeing what we can do with it. And it may work, it may not. Who knows? But we're going to find out. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, I do, I do watch golf. I love to watch golf because I don't care how many people are standing on the fairways, how many golfers are out there. It doesn't matter what them other 22 guys are doing. That's not helping you. It's about you, a little ball, and how to get it in that hole. Just like it's, correct me if I'm wrong, you, a box of lures, and how to get that little green fish hanging on the scale. Yep. And, you know, now it's truly just about me because I'm not allowed to get help and I'm not allowed to get my buddy to bail me out that I fished a tournament with. Uh, it's all it's all on it's us. you. It's it, all on me. It's what's between your ears and that particular I'll call it a course, a lake. But it's you. It it and it there are a ton of similarities. There really there really are. There there is. We compare it a lot to NASCAR and golf. Uh the way NASCAR more on the marketing side, golf more on the uh format of the sports side or whatever. Uh, knowing the score, letting that pressure get in my head to make different decisions and things, all that is kind of where we're, we're going with this. How often do you guys meet, you know, as anglers on the BPT to, to make decisions and stuff like that? 
Well, we have an advisory board uh, that we directly communicate with, and um, and they gather information. I think there's like eight guys. Yeah, there's eight, there's eight advisory board members that have ten people they represent, and they're in charge of having direct communication with those guys and getting any anything that concerns me. I go to my advisory board member, and it's his responsibility to bring it up in a meeting, and they discuss if that's realistic or not and things like that. And then it kind of goes... Uh, they have a liaison between the advisory board and upper-level management, and uh, they go back and see what the business restrictions are, and then they, they, they work through uh, everyday, I guess, problems there. And then we also have quarterly Zoom call meetings where we'll, all the anglers will get invited to a Zoom call, and then all of Major League Fishing Management is, uh, is presenting to us um, their concepts are basically talking about everything that we talked about each quarter amongst our advisory board members. It's like, hey, you guys brought this up, and this is what we decide, or this is what we work through, or and then we go, and then we'll open it up for discussion to end of the Zoom call. Uh, so we have we get together at least once a quarter there, and uh, and of course at every event we have a meeting where we can have some general discussion, but we try to stay out of solving big problems at the meeting right. because it turns into just basically a whole bunch of people in the room trying to argue about stuff. Yeah, and you're and trying to get ready to go fish. Yeah, yeah. We try to just keep the meetings focused on fishing. So do you guys have any input on the, the schedule and stuff and where you guys go and everything like that? The first year we didn't uh, because – you know, year one of the Bass Pro Tour was thrown together really, really fast. And so I commend those guys for making it work like they did because uh, it was chaos. And they, they we got through it, but going into 2020, we, we did a lot of planning and scheduling around it. And they we actually made an, uh, a, a separate advisory board just for the schedule. And it was four guys. Um, and those four guys were basically supposed to get the input from all any anglers about if you know a lake that's really, really good at a certain time of the year, tell us about it, and we're going to sit there and assess it. Now, there's several things that go into building the schedule. We had to know if it had cell phone service because we have to have service to be able to run the score tracker, uh, you know, and then we had to see what the logistics are of everything. Do they have a town that's willing to pay us some money? Uh, do they have hotels and everything else that can accommodate, accommodate us and stuff? So they gathered up a big list, and then they went through and started narrowing them down. And uh, we pretty much, I think, six out of the, or like no, seven out of the nine that we're going to was picked by the anglers. That's cool. That's I looked at that schedule. It's really good. You better bring your A game. I'm not saying you, an angler. Yeah. There's going to be some weights hit the scale on this. On, oh, yeah. I, I believe, unless just something strange happens, but... As a as a guy who likes fishing myself, um, it sure does look like there's going to be a lot of fish and some nice ones caught on this schedule. Absolutely, the first the first four events, uh, three out of those four are going to be, to me, going to be epic. Uh, you know, you follow Alabama. Um, I don't think Okeechobee's going to impress anybody. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's 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 a little bit later in the spring to have a big old spawner slugfest, isn't it? It's just Okeechobee just hasn't been shining the last couple of years uh there's there's they're spraying a lot down there they're killing a lot of vegetation and 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 from what i understand the water's low and dirty um all over the lake so i just don't expect there to be much happening there but then we go to lake fork and that's going to be a hammer fest and then we're going to raleigh north carolina again right after that so the first out of four the first four tournaments three of them are going to be just straight up fights uh on big fish yeah, it's it's going to be good. It is, and I've got a question. I'm interested on the the score tracker. <clears throat> you know, do you have? Do you sit down when you, you get in the boat the first thing in the morning? You got your marshal. Do you say, "Hey, marshal, I want to know an update every 15 minutes," or I want to know every time it changes? Do you control that flow of information any as an angler? Yeah, I do. Um, I try to use the information as much as I can. I usually like to use it a lot once we first start fishing or the beginning of a round. Uh, just so I could see what the pace is. Right. And uh, and I, I'll use it just to get the pace. But once I kind of feel the pace, then I'll tell them, all right, we, we understand now. They're catching one about every seven minutes. <laughs> and, yeah, so, right. and so, like, literally, for instance, Table Rock, I knew I had to catch a bass every 12 minutes to stay in the game. 
If I tell you you got to go out there and for eight hours catch one every 12 minutes, you will not believe how hard that is to no, do. No pressure. I'm done no after, pressure. I'm done after the first 24 minutes. And so I want to know the pace. <laughs> oh, and two. Because <laughs> I don't want to stay in an area too long. And, and I'm like, man, it's been 30, 45 minutes since I caught a bass. This is not fast enough. And then I'll have to move. Yeah. Whether I feel really good about my area or not, they're just running up the score track and I'm going to have to make a move. And, and so I'll use it that way. And here goes the slide. Tink, 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 yeah. Tink. You know, oh, yeah. Whether you like it or not. Right. You know, the, um, so I've posed this question. You know, I'm a guest, I'm a guest speaker since uh, the head podcast guy, Tim Trockenbrot, out with a brand new baby boy. The uh, I've posed this question with our last guest, and I'll pose it to you because we do have a lot of fishing fans, and they want to know about fishing as well. You got five rods. It's fixing to be March. You pick your area of the country, but we're talking spring. What's Gerald Sporer got tied on? Five rods on his deck. Specifically? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All we right. ain't wanting no trash here. Right. We're looking for the goods. So no doubt I'm going to have a Z-Man chatterbait. I'm going to have, uh, I, I made a signature swim jig in 2019, and I'm, and this is not a sponsor plug. I built this thing because it's something that I wanted. I wanted an awesome swim jig that was made for braid. I put a braid swim jig on uh, early in the year. and uh, because What trailer? Of, I, I'll use... Three different trailers. One's going to be a twin turbo from Missile Baits. Yeah. Or, uh, or I'll, I'll go with a, uh, like a big Rage Crawl, one that'll move a lot of water. Right. Uh, or, or like a big Speed Crawl. Or I'll, uh, if I want, sometimes I feel like they want that paddle tail a little bit. So I'll go with a Gambler Easy Swimmer. Uh, just that big paddle tail moves a lot of water. The Easy Swimmer, not the big Easy, not the little Easy, but the Easy. You're basing your trailer off water movement and bait profile. Profile. I got That's you. That's it. I Profile and uh, and water movement. Um, I don't get into how much glitters in it and all this other stuff. But usually that time, this time of year, you find yourself fishing a lot of muddy water. Aaron counts glitter flakes. You might want to look into some that. Some guys that works for some guys, but that's I don't want to worry about <laughs> that's that. That's not Gerald Sport, right? <laughs> no, no. Okay, so we've got we've got a swim jig. chatterbait, a swim jig, and then I'm gonna have a missile D bomb tied on. Flipping bait. Flipping bait for sure. Um, and depends. Sometimes I'll, I'll I'll flip a jig a lot that time of the year. So uh, there's another jig that that I made. It's a flipping jig. It's called a battle flip, and is to me is the only flipping jig that I've been able to flip inside of a piece of buck brush, like a thick brush, and it won't get hung up. Uh, and still catch one. And still catch one. Yeah, it's got a big double wide weed gar on it, and uh, and you know either a spinner bait or a uh, a spinner bait or a square bill for sure. Okay, so we got spinnerbait, square bill, some form of a flipping bait, whether it's a jig or the D bomb. Yeah. Swim jig. Six. He definitely doesn't need to count glitter flakes. You said a chatterbait? No, but I ran out. I was at five. Yeah. Well, Actually, I counted the flipping baits twice. So yeah. one flipping bait. It's hard, okay. to say, it's hard to say just five because I'm going oh. to have about eight. So eight basic rods. So he just opened a window into Gerald Sporer. Yeah. So what what is your, and you don't have to give away any secrets, but what is your your bait that you're going to go to as a as a search bait if you're trying to cover a lot of water and just find fish quick in the springtime? Yep, it's probably going to be that swim jig. Okay, that swim jig in the springtime when that water temperature to me the magic number is fifty six degrees. When it gets to fifty six degrees, they'll start choking that thing, and it's funny. It's like they'll hit a light switch. If it's fifty four. You can get a bite every now and then on that deal. And unless you get around a spotted bass fishery, they'll start eating at 54. But 56, those big largemouth, is crazy. They'll just come out of a bush and act like they're so mad at it. What's your favorite topwater? Uh, you know, topwater, uh, it, it depends. Um, I, I'm basic profile when it comes to that. It's going to be some sort of walking bait or a buzz bait or a frog or you know, just depends on the situation. The situation. Yeah. Um, you, know, you go up north, it's a pencil popper. Yeah. Mississippi River, Elite Series event. Yeah. It was a spook sitting in the middle of a slough. Spook of the Catching frog. them every cast, if I remember correctly. <laughs> That's right. Pool yeah. seven. Pools. Was that pools? Yeah. Lacrosse. She takes care of what pools he fished. <laughs> Unbelievable. She just remembers everything. <laughs> if anybody's looking for a great tournament partner, knows lodging and where you need to fish, <laughs> shout out to Maggie. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Pool seven. That was crazy. 
Now, if memory serves me, bass fishing is not the only fishing you do. You do some saltwater stuff too, right? Hardcore saltwater. I just, I was always a big time saltwater guy, but now I have my own boat. Uh, this off season, I actually built my own boat, and uh, and no one can respect the fact of built, putting a boat together more than Duke right here because he gets to put them together every day. Picking out fiberglass splinters as we speak. <laughs> oh yeah, covered in fiberglass every day. But uh, Randall Tharp had actually found me a contender. And I wanted this, I wanted a 32-foot contender. Well, it's a 31 open, but it's a 32-foot boat. And I wanted that boat. And I wanted one that was old and nothing was good on it but the hull, basically. Because I wanted to redo it. I wanted new motors, new electronics, new wiring. And Randall said, man, I found one. And so he found me a 2004, and it was over there by his house in Florida. And after I cast, I went in there and, and got it. Yeah. And, uh, and I really didn't spend much time looking at it because this guy was trying to tell me about all this stuff, and I was like, all that's coming off. Everything's coming off. So I had to derig this boat, take two 300 HPDIs off of it, uh, sold them for nothing. I think I got 3000 a piece for them things. Oh, the lower unit was worth that. Oh, I don't know. I was just wanting it all gone, and I got down to just a bare hole. And then when I got to a bare hole, and I started doing more research on these boats and stuff, I had realized that uh, the tanks tend to go bad in these things. Uh-oh. And then I started thinking. Fuel tank or bait tank? Fuel, fuel tanks. Fuel, fuel tank. tanks. Okay. They got these aluminum tanks in there, and they're underneath the floor. They're fiberglass in. You can't get to them. And everyone talks about they pretty much expire because they foam them in, and they start to get pitted with holes in them and stuff, and they start to leak. Because of the, the environment they're in, the, the salt, salt water environment. The salt water and then the ethanol fuel and all that stuff. It's like a double corrosion coming from both ends of it. And um, and so they everyone pretty much said that it's not if it's going to happen is when it's going to happen. And said they get about 12 to 15 years out of them, and then you have to replace them. And I'm sitting there thinking, golly, I just bought a 15-year-old boat. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> time tanks limits. have not been replaced in it, and I'm about to go and do all this revamp on this thing. So then I had to make the decision to cut the floor out of this boat, and that was a step I wasn't prepared for. And uh, that took the project to another level. <laughs> Yanked the uh, 240 gallons at the time, three different tanks, pulled those out of the floor, and then uh, redesigned the whole inside of the boat, like the floor, and I expanded the fuel capacity to 325 gallons, and then refiberglassed it all in, and then I was able to start putting it back together. So it set me back a little bit, but rewired the entire boat, uh, all new Semrat electronics, autopilot. This thing drives itself. I have a radar on the roof. All my friends make fun of me because it looks like something that you would see on the oil rig, not on my boat. My radar is so big. But you go run, big or go home. Yeah. And uh, but now we got this boat built. I was able to build it in about three months from start to finish, and I worked on it every single day with the help of uh, at, you know Cajun Outboards down there. They're a Phoenix dealer. They they let me house the boat in there, and I worked in I worked on it every day over there and. Now that it's done, we've been going offshore as much as we can. So did Mike get on that boat and help you turn some wrenches? Uh, you're back to moral, moral support. Moral support. Hey, listen, coming from a boat builder, that's strong too. Yeah, uh, it is. Shout that, out to that's Mike. That's what I do for Duke. Shout out to Mike. He stands there and goes, how's it going, Duke? Yeah. You I'll walk over there and lean over the rail. I'm like, what you got going on, bud? You got, no. got, got everything you need? Mike definitely gave me the space to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and he let me utilize some of his, his guys back there whenever I needed a hand. And, uh, and he also, you know, helped me with purchasing, like, all the things I had to buy for a boat. I pretty much just took the book home, the big... Um, the catalog. The catalog <laughs> for all the things that you use to build boats with. And, and I would just make big lists every day and ended up getting... I thought I was never going to finish that job, and I, and I, and I did. Ooh, but, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so and the, how far out do you go in it? Well, the, the first trip... This is kind of dumb. Two miles. But the first, no. <laughs> you you gripped is, it and ripped it, didn't you? Two miles crazy, ain't nothing done This is how crazy I am in boating. Um, yeah, we went out of Venice the first morning. It was foggy, driving off a straight radar. Uh, not a lot of experience driving off a straight radar. It's like flying an airplane when you can't see anything. This is and, going bad. I already hear it. Yeah, and we, no, no, no. I eased my way out of South Pass, which you don't run South Pass anymore because I found out it's silted up. Uh, so I eased my way, got out of there somehow without getting stuck like a bunch of other big boats have been doing lately, and then hit the Gulf of Mexico, and I was like, oh, I got this. 70 miles offshore from the mouth of the river, and I was 8,000 feet of water. We went out there and went tuna fishing the very first trip. 
And my buddy was like, dang, dude, everything works. That's straight up. That goes back to like Sandlot when the boy, I'm going I'm going to go swimming and jumped off That's the right. high dive. You know, let's not put our feet in. Let's go no, head first. Windy peppercorn. Yeah, we went out there and... Um, they and got played, married, dang. you know. Yeah, yeah uh, 70-something miles out there to one of the deepest oil rigs that we have in the Gulf of Mexico and... Well, the upside, though, is you did all the work. So if something went wrong, you knew how scary, to fix it. That was the scary part. Well, it can <laughs> no, be scary, just, but it's a big bonus. I was thing. actually more confident that exactly. I did it because I've had my hands on everything. Yeah. That, there's there's good and bad. And, you know, you talk about boats. And, and yeah, I'm going to shout out our own product. When you know that a boat has been quality construction, mm-hmm. one, it adds a little level of comfort. But But when you go through it, you're like, okay, look. I replaced the stuff I knew I needed to. You know, when you talked about fuel tanks and wiring, stuff that that, that saltwater environment is going to affect, whether you like it or not. So, yeah, I don't blame you. Hey, you got some confidence in your rig? Put it to the floor. Did yeah. You, did you catch any? Yeah, we caught yeah. plenty of stuff. Um, but, you know, we, it was like three hours one way to get out there. Yeah. Once we got into the Gulf of Mexico, you still got to run 25 miles on the Mississippi River. You know, three hours in the Gulf of Mexico one way. We only fished for a few hours and then three hours back. How, uh, where do you find a gas station out there? You don't. That's why I got 325 (laughs) gallons. You fill it up before you go. But, you know, that first trip, we didn't fish a whole lot. It was more just to feel the boat out and get some confidence in it. And then the next trip, we went out, um, Wahoo fishing a couple weekends ago and, that's why I brought y'all some Wahoo because we caught. We're gonna have we to had, delete that. We don't want the world yeah, we don't to want know. To share that with everybody. We we, uh, we had one, like a Wahoo trip of a lifetime. We caught eleven big Wahoo really fast, and we could have caught as many as we. But we filled up the fish boxes on the boat, and we couldn't fit anymore. Um, Sounds so, like you need to back off on the fuel and increase the fish box. Yeah, <laughs> I, actually, uh, I'm. Yeah, well, I was like, I started thinking, you could make more room in the fish box, but I don't have any more room in the freezer. So that's why I'm giving away. Uh, <laughs> fair enough, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. That's what I was telling you. You said, man, no, you don't have to bring me fish up here because I'm working on your boat. And I said, no, I, I got to get rid of all these fish I'm killing. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> See, and I, I love going down and fishing saltwater. You, there's just so many different species. Um, generally, you can always find something to bite. It may not be what you're wanting, but mm-hmm. dang them, everything down there's got teeth, man. Oh yeah, sharp gills, sharp everything. I mean, you got to be careful out there, especially those wahoo. Yeah. Correlation: salt water, fresh water. Is there stuff that carries over? I mean, in, oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, there's a there's a several guys on the Bass Pro Tour, guys that fish professional in general, that saltwater fish as well. If you live by the coast, all those guys do. And Jeff Crete said it best. He's like, you know, a lot of these guys saltwater fish, but he said uh, if you can be a really good saltwater fisherman as a bass fisherman, you just kind of integrate bass fishing stuff into saltwater and you make it better. So a lot of concepts uh, when gotcha. it comes to rigging and things like that, we, we're more technical as bass fishermen when it comes to rigging. And they do certain things, but we just kind of integrate – some some concepts that we have into it and uh, get, I gotcha. get some better results. And cool. I can see that. I mean, one of my favorite trips um, fishing in saltwater, we had a buddy that used to live in Mississippi, and we went out to Mississippi and actually rode out to an island, hopped out of the boat and started wade fishing, and we were catching reds, and we were walking the grass mats, you know, and actually finding the holes in the grass. You pitch in there, and then boom, here you go. I mean, it was, it was just like bass fishing to me. Straight up gator. It. You were gator bait. That's what uh, you're no, saying. No, we had sharks fall. We had the stringer tied to the to the belt line and uh, with some reds to it. And all of a sudden, I looked around. By the time we got to the boat, and there's three sharks falling. I'd never had that happen before, and rather not have it happen. I, I know. I know Gerald's probably experienced. I'm a Midwesterner, Southern Illinois. We don't have sharks. We don't have gators. We don't have bears. We are minus the copperhead and the brown recluse spider. We're top of the food chain. So when y'all talk about this. I'm out. <laughs> there is when stuff can eat you. I'm out. Yeah, y'all, y'all don't have any threats over there. Huh? Nothing. No, we shoot guns for fun. Just there. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you Illinois. Don't. You got politicians are their biggest threat up there. Oh, yeah. That's on the other end of the state. That's Still, the, same state. <laughs> well, well, I do agree. It's hard to outvote them, but they don't come down and mess with us because we, you know, we should know better. Right, right. They're <laughs> like, hmm, there's hoot owls and chickens running around in that part of the world. We, we're out. So <laughs> they stay on the pavement. Yeah. Stay on the concrete. So, what, I, and I would, I got to ask this. People make fun of me, I'm sure. I, have you ever went gator hunting? Oh, absolutely. We yeah. killed, we killed a big gator this year. Did uh, my, my, 
my title sponsor, SWAT, which stands for Specialty Welding and Turnarounds, a big welding company with the owner of SWAT. He's building this big old barn right now, and he wants, you know, he wants to mount this big giant alligator. And he's like, man, I want to kill a big gator, a big one. And so, um, one of our other Phoenix buddies, I called my buddy T. Roy Broussard, and I said, yeah. T. Roy. Do you have a big alligator in sight for alligator season coming up? He goes, I know where's a real big one. And so uh, we went out there and set the hunt up with him and went and stayed at his camp out there on Sabine River. And where the big gator was, um, we didn't catch that gator. And we caught another gator that was even bigger around the corner that he didn't even know was there. Oh, wow. He said it was about 200 years old. It was giant. It was about 11 and a half foot long. But... It, when they get they stop growing long and they start growing wide yeah and this sucker was so wide and big and i don't know how big it was but when texas season opened up uh, they got one big alligator process down there and for the first like two weeks of alligator season he was the biggest one so he was a very legit but, alligator and now my my title sponsor johnny he's doing a full alligator mount on this thing we process the meat that takes taxidermy to a whole new level yeah, i'm just throwing that out there oh, that's try, awesome try 500 bucks a foot Woo. That's how much it costs to mount this thing. And he's putting it on a big log, and it's going to be the centerpiece I'm out. of this big barn. I'm out. But, yeah, we got pictures. If you go to my social media, you can see pictures of us holding this giant alligator up. And we caught him on a chicken leg and pulled him in with a string and shot him with a three fifty seven. So it goes down like the TV show? Uh, kind of. So, yeah. Was I anybody mean, hollering, toot him, toot him? Probably. Okay, all right. You got to have some authenticity there. I'm just kidding. We were saying it got kind of crazy. It gets a little crazy. It got got a little crazy when when you start pulling on a 11 and a half footer. When you pull one up and he's got 10 inches between the eyes, it gets a little serious, doesn't it? Well, I know when we pulled up, one of his buddies was alligator hunting, and T Roy kind of pulled on the line a little bit. And we had already decided we we had killed several gators already, but we didn't really have one to mount. Yeah, we didn't have a massive one that, right. that we went there to get. And T-Roy said, I'm just going to see how big this one is, and I'm going to leave it for my buddy and let him burn one of his tags on it because he hadn't gotten any alligators that day. And we went to pull on this thing, and he first popped his head up and said, oh, that's a big one. And then <laughs> and started dragging the boat He around. changed his mind yeah, then, didn't like, he? Get the gun, get the gun, get the gun. <laughs> At first, he grabbed the twenty-two. He said, no, get the big gun. Then we had another one that was a three fifty-seven, and we pulled the three fifty-seven out because the twenty-two is underpowered. So how long does it take to work one up to the boat? I mean, is it a pretty quick process? It's or? a pretty quick process. Yeah, yeah the line's short, and um, and you pull up on the line. And usually, as soon as he pops his head up, you can shoot him. But uh, this one put up a fight. Yeah. He, was, he was not happy. I mean, he's 200-something years old, and the first time he's been hooked. Got to be cranky. Yeah. I mean, good grief. 80-year-old men are cranky. You get 200, I can't even imagine. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you think Teeth about hurt. the the generality. I mean, we talk about, you know, deer hunting. You shoot a 7- or 8-year-old deer. That's that's an old deer, you know. Mm-hmm. To, to have the opportunity to harvest something that's a couple hundred years old. I mean, yep. It's pretty amazing that, that it you is amazing. walked this earth for that long and evaded people and everything. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think he had many years left in him. He was old. Yeah. You know, I mean, probably George Washington didn't hunt him, but somebody right after him could have. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. That's crazy. Yeah. Think about how many pounds of, of meat and fish and stuff that thing had eaten over its lifetime. Oh, yeah. That would be, oh, my goodness. Man, you can't even. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, Bass Pro Tour, divert back to a little bit of fishing, Lake Eufaula. Have you been to Lake Eufaula in Alabama? Yeah, I actually went and pre-practiced it a few weeks ago. Little, not a little known fact. Uh, it was little known to me. I've been there one time, and remember when I told you I lived in the Midwest yeah. and we don't have this stuff that eats you. I rounded the corner, had a nineteen foot boat, and there's a gator. He's as long as my boat. I mean, I walked up to the front and I'm like, yeah, it's about even. I walked back to the back and I'm like, hmm, about even there. I'm taking pictures. I got my camera camera out. Pre-cell phone camera. But anyway, you know, they didn't have those. But taking a picture of him, and he turns. And it would have took me and Gerald to reach around him. Really? Apparently, they're protected down there. Oh, did, yeah. Did you see any when you were down there? Or was it yeah, cold? Yeah, I, I did. No, it wasn't cold yet. Uh, I did see a few. Not like we have in Louisiana, though. They're infested down there. We have to kill them to control the population because there's just so many of them. I'm going to tell you. Scared me to death the thing turns his head and looks at me and i'm looking at how wide his nose is and i'm putting my hands up like from my chest to my belt buckle and i'm like 
I'm out. I got to go. I got to go you. fish somewhere else. I was about 15 years old, and we were down around uh, the Gulf Shores area playing golf, me and my dad. And I hit one over by the pond because mine always go to the tall grass or the pond or the woods. Me being from Tennessee, <laughs> I don't think anything about it. I just take off, man. I grab a sand wedge, and I'm heading right over there to the pond, and I get about from me to you, so about two to three feet, and all of a sudden something moves and catches my eye, and it's a gator about three feet from me. And I, I mean, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I locked up like a bird dog in point. Did he and have the ball in his mouth? No, no, it like wasn't, it wasn't a chub. Chubbs, chubbs. chubbs moment. Let yeah. me see your fingers. <laughs> They're all here. Okay. Well, he's good. <laughs> that's one of my favorite movies, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Love that movie. Uh, but yeah, that freaked me out. I mean, I'm, I'm with Duke. I mean, we've got snakes and stuff, but uh, snapping turtles about the biggest thing we're going to get around. Right, right. Foul hook, snapping turtle. No yeah. big, just stay away from his mouth. You're good. Yeah. This mm. thing takes body parts. It's crazy. Yeah. And spins in circles when it gets one. Does it? I'm yeah. out. Yeah, that's how the alligator tries to kill his prey. He bites him and he just sits there. He keeps you underwater, keeps drink, you underwater, disorients you, and drowns you. Yeah. Wow. See, I would love to go on a gator. I think that'd be fun. I'm out. I mean, I don't know that I want to actually do You know, like I would have to work my way up to it, but I would love to be in a boat and watch the thing go down. Call and, T. Roy. He's yeah. a Phoenix guy. Oh, Say, yeah. hey, if you want to pick up your boat this year, you got to you owe me a gator hunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lady up there in the corner office. She don't let us do stuff like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Great boss, but we, you can't shanghai one of your customers, oh, you know. They, it's not accepted. No, I always make him give me a story or two every time he comes through. I think he actually brought uh, – a gator head and gave it to T a couple Did years really? ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't he, tell he brought her. a gator head. I brought fish. Yep. So, hmm. Man, we're going to have to find some more people from Louisiana. Yeah. I'm loving all this. Y'all get down there in Louisiana and Texas. We need speakerphone. Just Tharp just tried to call. We should have got him on speakerphone. Yeah, put him on there. Oh, man. If we had that cord, we're waiting on a cord to come in so we're, we can do the phone call. We're that would have been good. a little phone in opportunity. So yeah. be prepared. There may be a little Gerald Sporer from the road. Okay. Take place. That's We're right. always down. Yeah, we will definitely get that just, lined up. Just reach out to Mackie and she'll tell me. Yeah, we we know. <laughs> we've uh, I've learned. I don't know. I'm sure Brian has. He's sharp. He picks up on stuff. We now know contact Maggie. That's right. Yeah. There's the we there's the, the epicenter of of the Gerald Sporer operation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we appreciate you guys giving us the time and uh, the opportunity to meet with you. We're gonna let you go hook up to the new rig. And uh, but Gerald, we appreciate it. Maggie, thank you for coming in. Next time we're going to get we're working on a fourth mic, so you'll be up here with us the next time. That's right. Yeah, that's she's right. over there just smiling and shaking her head. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck this year on the tour, and man, we look forward to talking to you some more and uh, seeing what this year's got in store. Great. Hey. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Gerald.